The festive event that we remember today with the waving of palms and the singing of triumphant songs was, in many ways, just an ordinary Jewish holiday. Passover was one of the pilgrim holidays. Every year at that time, the city of Jerusalem increased fourfold in population as observant Jews flocked from every part of the land to the temple to celebrate their holy days. The main routes into the city were lined with people welcoming the pilgrims into the city. Passover was a festive atmosphere, a time to celebrate and honor Jewish identity and faith and ritual. Even the Romans had grown accustomed to this annual event. It wasn't their holiday, but it did provide an opportunity for them to remind everyone who was in charge. Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan, in their book, The Last Week, describe the manner in which Rome fortified its presence in Jerusalem during the Passover holiday. These are their words. The Roman governor of Judea would ride into town, a visual panoply of imperial power, cavalry on horses, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold, the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some odd, some resentful. The Roman authorities certainly knew how to make an entrance, how to announce their presence and power. It was nothing new. It had become part of the ordinary backdrop of Passover. What is unusual in this story that we hear today was what took place on the other side of town, near the eastern entrance to the city. Jesus and his companions had traveled up to Jerusalem with a throng of pilgrims honoring their religious customs. But when they approached the Mount of Olives, Jesus changed the script. He instructed the disciples to go fetch a little colt, and instead of entering the city on foot like the other pilgrims, Jesus rode in on the back of a young donkey. People took notice. They waved and cheered and placed their garments on the road. They welcomed Jesus as if he were royalty. I wonder why. When I was young and waving my palm branch every Palm Sunday, I thought I knew why. It was obvious. He was Jesus, and everybody knew what that meant. But as I have grown to know more about this story and this time, I'm convinced that in that large, diverse crowd, there were a variety of perspectives about who Jesus was and why he had come into town in this dramatic fashion. Some may have interpreted Jesus' entrance as a political statement, a piece of street theater, as one scholar describes it, produced and directed by Jesus as a satire of Roman pomp and authority. Others in the crowd, those who were 
educated maybe, perhaps well-versed in scripture, may have found the words of the prophet Zechariah ringing in their ears. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He shall command peace to the nations, and his dominion shall be from sea to sea. Perhaps there were some that day who saw Jesus in this prophetic light. There may have even been those in the crowd who had previous encounters with Jesus, had heard him preach or teach or witnessed his power to heal. They may have experientially recognized him as the one who came in the name of the Lord, the bearer of God's salvation, and felt a spontaneous need to call that out when they saw him. Whatever a person's perspective was that day, it was certainly shaped by experience and by expectation of Jesus. What becomes clear as the story progresses is that by the end of the week, just about everybody is disappointed. The Jesus movement, which had gathered so much momentum, came to a grinding halt in Jerusalem, or so it appeared. Jesus didn't fulfill the expectations of those who shouted, Hosanna. He wasn't as large and in charge as some had hoped. He spoke and taught with authority. He told the truth of God. But he didn't unleash a torrent of muscular power to demonstrate who was boss. Quite the opposite. As the week progressed, Jesus let go of familiar notions of power and authority. He emptied himself, to use Paul's language, and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. In doing this, Jesus exposed the fault line between human conceptions of power and the power of God. We humans seem pretty wed to the conception of power as power over. We jockey for position, we compare and measure as we strive for status and security. We seek to have more than, to be stronger than, better than. Maybe we think this is the path to security or abundant life, but it is not. It is slavery. And what we see in the stories of Holy Week is that this practice of power is especially dangerous when it is institutionalized, when it is backed by governments and armies and the threat of violence. And it becomes tragic when it finds its way into religious institutions, when we become brokers of who is righteous and who is not, who is in and who is out, who is favored by God and who is not. Jesus rejected these practices of power and authority. He refused to play the game, refused to participate. In doing so, he shows us what it means to be truly human. And he shows us what divine strength looks like, power 
exercised for the sake of others. He didn't rally the troops. He didn't grasp and grab and hang on to his status. Instead, in a radical act of obedience and trust, he let go. He entrusted himself into the hands of God. He poured himself out for the sake of the world. Each year as I hear these stories, I'm reminded of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's line in The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls us to follow, he bids us come and die. Following Jesus asks more of us than palm-waving, doesn't it? It asks us to die to those things that get in the way of our being truly, fully human, those things that keep us from being who God created us to be. We die to false pride, the belief that we are somehow better or more entitled than others. We die to shame, the belief that we are not good enough, that we are not worthy enough for God to love us. Following Jesus, we are asked to lay down all of the masks that we wear, all of the armor we use to protect ourselves, to show how strong and capable and together we are. We are free to let go of all of that, to empty ourselves, because we trust that God will fill those empty places with healing grace. God will be faithful to us the way that God was faithful to Jesus, bringing us from death to life, not just once, but time and time again. So let us follow Jesus on this path. Let us follow him together into the extraordinary life he has prepared for us, a life of radical trust, a life of freedom, and gratitude, and joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.